Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring the latest news, analysis, and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Spoda Kendall, VP of Product Development with ACFCS, and I think it's safe to say that, for most of us anyway, the past 18 months have been a long, strange trip. One marked by disruption and confusion, but also innovation and adaptation. The same has been true for financial criminals. Fraudsters and money launderers adapted quickly to the pandemic reality and continue to profit from the shift to digital-first financial services. As many countries around the world now start to reopen and the pandemic moves to a new phase, what lessons have we learned from financial crime during the COVID-19 era thus far? And most importantly, what new strategies and attitudes must be employed by financial institutions to deal with financial crime in this period of digital transformation? To explore this wide-ranging topic, I'm happy to be joined by Andrew Corbett. He is a member of the Nice Actimize Premier Solutions Consultant Team, where he works with banks, credit unions, and fintechs to tackle a wide variety of financial crime challenges. In a non-COVID world, uh, Andrew could be found working on film, TV, and music video sets on the weekends in his hometown of Atlanta, Georgia. And he's going to bring his perspective working with a variety of financial institutions to give us some insights on what his clients are dealing with and the industry more broadly related to combating fraud by capturing user behaviors, uh, how contextualizing non-monetary risk is essential for proper customer due diligence, and so much more. So, Andrew, thank you for being here. It's a pleasure having you on the program. And if you don't mind, just to kick us off, tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Nice Actimize, and particularly what Nice Actimize is doing in general to take on some of these financial crime risks uh, on the fraud, money laundering, pandemic disruption side that we'll be probing on today's session. Hey everyone, this is Andrew Corbett from Nice Actimize. I uh, wanted to really quickly just talk to you about some of the things that we're doing over at Actimize. Uh, we have an AI-first, unsupervised machine learning approach. The big benefit there is that your IT team isn't going to hate us. All those models are going to be self-learning, and it's going to require nothing on the back end. And when we talk about Framel, you know that fraud and AML offering for you know mid-sized, regional, and community credit unions. Uh, the thing that we're looking for is we want to have that faster, smarter approach to Framel. We want both sides of the office to really work together. Uh, you know, fraud will become money laundering, so let's stop it early. And then let's detect it at any part of the financial crime pattern. And then also, you know, we're really empowering financial institutions to really transform and accelerate as they face this digital transformation that we've all had to kind of ramp up with during COVID. And, and you know, I also want to talk about being able to do far more with far less. That's one of the things that you're going to hear about today really making sure that we're automating those processes. Whenever we automate a manual task, we give you somebody from your team back. We're really big about that. Um, and if you ever want to learn more about us, we're at uh, niceactimize.com slash exceed, which is the exceed platform that I know and love. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Excellent. Well, let's let's kick things off with uh, a question that we could probably spend the next you know 20 minutes talking about on its own. Um, obviously, there's any number of disruptions and changes to financial crime, compliance, detection, and prevention as a result of the pandemic. Uh, but what are some things that jumped out of you? How, from your perspective, has COVID-19 and the uh, resulting pandemic disruption changed financial crime fighting? You know, it's funny because COVID, uh, when you have conversations with some of the people who've been, you know, in these financial crime roles for some of these institutions for decades and decades, 
COVID kind of served as the reality of a lot of theoretical conversations that people have been having for quite some time. The big one being, you know, what happens if people stop coming in the branch? You know, how do we uh, understand the risks that people pose to us when we never get to meet them? Um, and, and, you know, the other thing that was interesting about COVID, too, is this digital transformation was already occurring. We were already seeing people, you know, especially members of the younger generations who were doing as much as they could, you know, bank in their bathrobe and, and not be in front of somebody. And what COVID did was it made it uh, a reality and, and it made it a reality today. You know, a lot of people that I spoke to said, oh, well, we've got about five or six years before we need to fix some of these problems that we know are problems or that we know are going to be challenges. But uh, all of a sudden, we just kind of skip right to it. And that's really the uh, the genesis of a lot of the trouble that people are facing over the last year and a half. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's sort of this uh, you know, meme I've seen floating around LinkedIn and other places. It's like a you know, poll, who drove your digital transformation? Was it your CEO, your CTO, or COVID-19, you know? And I think for most oh, yeah, people, absolutely. it's, uh, it, yeah, it's been, it's been COVID-19. And, you know, the, the changing nature of, of the way customers do business, obviously, has huge implications for, you know, KYC, uh, CDD, customer risk assessment, um, the whole nine yards. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've heard consistently from our, our members that there's been a lot of opportunity there, but there's obviously a risk for uh, entry points for financial criminals, right? If you have all sorts of uh, n new customer behaviors and potentially new products that you're rolling out to serve the customer behaviors, like um, expanded digital payments or real-time payments, those types of things, then the door for fraud is just wide open. So speaking of fraud, you know, on, on the fraud topic, we have seen pretty eye-watering numbers come out of uh, some of the, the pandemic fraud scams and schemes, particularly around the relief benefits, things like unemployment, uh, PPP, you know, in the order of tens to hundreds of billions of dollars. And we're, every day we're discovering more, more uh, fraud schemes uncovered. So those numbers just keep going up. So in this new kind of reality of how officers won, because um, clearly they are winning, uh, and how are they going to, how are they likely going to continue to do so? Yeah, well, I think the first thing that you have to acknowledge is that they were already winning. You know, there is a, a multi-billion dollar industry when you think about things like account takeover, elderly abuse before uh, the pandemic was a billion dollar industry. We haven't really gotten the figures back, but I would guess it's a multi-billion dollar industry now. Uh, that's a fraud typology that was especially really difficult during the uh, pandemic, just because of the mechanics of COVID, you had a lot of people in their 80s and 90s who are actually like forcibly isolated. All those people still have home phone numbers, um, Gmail addresses they're not quite comfortable with, and they were really uh, targeted in mass. And when you talk about how fraudsters win, there's a couple different ways. Uh, the first thing is, and go back to lessons learned during pandemic, you know, when we talk about omni-channel and we talk about a bunch of different ways to get access to data, to get access to payments, uh, the biggest thing is, can you contextualize non-monetary risk? Because if you can, ooh, circus is coming to town. If I can get access to an account, if I can uh, convince you that my phone is not coming from a different location, it's coming from the same location, the device looks the same. If I don't have the ability to really look at each one of those access points, is an address being changed, is a password being changed? And then the big one is, are you looking at things isolated? Because that, for the fraudster, that's how I went. I can do a bunch of different things and I can overwhelm you. And if your solution or if your way of doing business isn't looking at things contextually, or there's the full backstory of, okay, I have two wires. They're both for $10,000. Do I just think this is a bad wire because it's for $10,000? Or do I think it's a bad wire because you logged in from uh, Europe when you've never logged in there before? 
And then, you know, once you did log in, because the first time you failed, once you did log in, you changed a password. And now you're sending a wire to someone you've never sent to before. Okay, well, now we have kind of that contextual background. The thing that I really like about fraud, which is a ridiculous sentence, but it's true. <laughs> the thing that I really like about fraud is there's always a backstory. You know, none of this stuff happens in a vacuum. There's always a, uh, there's always a built-in uh, kind of methodology. And the other thing that you're dealing with too is that fraudsters make money for this, you know, they're professionals. So you're dealing with somebody that's created a trade and who they pick and where they pick to apply that trade says a lot about the institution. It also says a lot about the way that they're able to kind of be undetected. So I, I would say the big way that fraudsters have been winning during COVID is that they've remained undetected. They've decided to just kind of, you know, hey, let me hit a bunch of different ways. Let me hit a bunch of different channels. I mean, you, you brought up unemployment benefits. That's a fantastic one. So when usually when we think of account takeover, you think of money leaving an account, right? I'm taking over your account. I'm sending money somewhere else. Unemployment benefits, I'm taking over your account and I'm having money being sent to your account, which is you know, a totally different way of fraud, right? We've never really, you know, it's it's been something that we've been aware of, but the way that it came out in mass over the last year and a half from the unemployment benefits scams, you know, caught a lot of people unaware. And I think when you when you're trying to fight that kind of a fraud typology to be specific, so unemployment's fraud, you know, you have to be able to isolate relationships and you have to be able to isolate behavior. So if uh, there's a new transfer recipient on this account, no one's ever sent money to him, he's never had money sent to him, and there's also a new uh, transaction originator, you know, the Washington State Employee Fund is sending money and you don't even live in Washington and you've never had a relationship with them before. The way that fraudsters lose is when we understand those events and we understand how they're interlinked and we get to see the full story. You know, they're hoping that we turn on TV and uh, we're just watching one random episode in a season and we don't even know how things are combined. Yeah, I love that analogy. That's a, that's a that's a great way of putting it. And I, in order to get there, it seems like you alluded to this in your in your comments. It seems like institutions need different kinds of data than they've used in the past, potentially for CDD KYC. It's not just about the transaction data or you know the information captured at onboarding. It's as you're saying, behavior data, um, device location, device IP address. Uh, device reputation, you know, these types of things. So, you know, have you seen more institutions seeking that out, capturing that? And, and you know, kind of a follow-on question, a big challenge we hear pretty consistently is, is, yeah, we may have that somewhere, but, you know, I don't know how to get access to it, or uh, I don't know how to map it and put it into my system to do anything with it, right? So it's, it's, yeah. not, just a, it's not just a question of, you know, what data you need, but how do you kind of bring that together um, as you're saying, and, and make sure you're watching the full season, right? I think this is a great question. So let me start off with this. The first thing that I always tell people is fraud is about greed on both sides. Because as, as financial crime fighters, we need to be very greedy. We want as much data as we can get from as many different sources as we can get. It's not money laundering where there's some known typologies and we're kind of doing that one-for-one -one exercise. Give me everything. Because I need to have an analytic that can take that, have some kind of machine learning, some kind of unsupervised machine learning, I'd, I'd hope, right? So I'm not the one doing it. It's going to make sense of all of these different data and to present a full story. Because, you know, the other thing that you make a good point of about is, you know, with fraud, oftentimes it's not a one-for-one -one relationship. We're connecting to some core banking solution and we're getting everything. You have to go where the data is. So if you have five or six different payment processors and platforms, you know, you need a solution that can connect to that and then can understand it. So once the data is finally in, because it is a data mapping exercise, as anyone in the industry will tell you, getting the data is you know, half the battle. 
But once you have it, the second thing that you need to be able to do is you need to be able to identify alerts based on everything that you know about them. That's why like, I'm a really, I'm a big hater when it comes to rules-based fraud, because first of all, it's isolation. So, hey, is this X? Then that's what it is. It, that's not the way the real world works. You know, there's so much more context to everything that we do. Uh, I, another thing I'll say real fast is fraud is about incentive, access, and opportunity. I can't do anything about your incentive, especially during COVID. There's plenty of reasons to commit fraud, but I can control access and I can understand opportunity. I can see behavioral analytics. I can see a change in behavior. And I can also see the way an account was accessed, whether it was through the mobile channel, the online channel. And then primarily, the other big thing too, is that when I am looking at a fraud typology, I need a solution that's gonna tell me off the, off the cuff, okay, this is what we've seen in the past. This is what this looks like. This is account takeover for these reasons. This is elderly abuse for these reasons. You know, we're actually looking at all the information that we have access to, and we're applying it so that an investigator doesn't have to sit there and do a scavenger hunt. You know, I talk to people and sometimes it seems like by the time all the data is in front of them, someone's giving them like a, a bag with a sandwich inside of it and saying, all right, go find all the different disparate systems and you know, try to make sense of this. Uh, you need everything in one place because fraud is about speed too. And as a fraudster, if that's who I am, gosh, I am hoping that 80% of your process is just figuring out everything that I've done. Because by the time you've done that, I'm out. I'm good. You know, yep. another thing that I was yep. talking to somebody about the other day is that with fraud right now, the, the consequences have never been lower for attempting fraud. You know, if you're in another country with no extradition and you're doing everything online, and you're doing everything through the mobile channel too, which we can have a great conversation about that in a little bit. It's not back in the day where you're running into a bank and you have a, a handkerchief over your face and you might lose your life. You can take as many shots as this as you want and as an institution, what we have to do is make sure that we make it very difficult for you because a fraudster is going to change many things. They'll change who they're married to. They'll change their car. They'll change their location. They will not change the mechanics of which they make money. That is their trade. Yeah, now some really good points there, particularly around speed, you know, and, and again, during the pandemic, I think this was this was driven home very vividly by, you know, things like, as we've been talking about, unemployment fraud, um, just the sheer amount of money that went out the door so quickly, as well as, you know, to your point, the speed of response where, you know, you saw some fraudsters attempt it, they succeeded, and then they hammered these unemployment systems with false, false requests. Um, and they have a lot of tools at their disposal. You know, we're talking about data. If you have access to massive amounts of PII through data breaches, um, and you can buy oh, yeah. that off the dark web, you know they they have all the data at their disposal, and you're scraping around trying to trying to get the data data to, to combat them uh, if you don't have it all in one place and kind of ready to go. So, um, but mm -hmm. I'm interested to follow up on the comment you made around around mobile channels. This has been a big source of really for the past several years. You know, we we saw various payment systems and you know you could call them real time or near real time zelle venmo cash app so on and so forth kind of come online and they now have big tie-ins i think to this this fraud area this pandemic fraud in particular we see you know money mules mule accounts that type of thing taking advantage of these uh, accounts that are taken over through account takeover which then have uh these these payment systems enabled to move the funds so what are you seeing on that front when it comes to mobile payments? Um, and how does that tie into this wider kind of fraud, fraud, this, this pandemic of fraud that we're dealing with? Well, as a fraudster, I'm seeing unlimited opportunity. You know, it's a wide <laughs> open door. And it's interesting because anybody who's been in this business for a while will tell you that fraudsters and money launderers, the one really great thing about them 
is that they will cut corners. They'll always cut corners. And it's usually a ridiculous corner to cut. You know, we'll get into that on the AML side. We talk about finding crime rings. But the one on the fraud side that I really like when we talk about mobile fraud is there's people who spend a lot of money and a lot of time to figure out how to clone devices to make it look like your phone is, you know, your phone and not my phone. Um, I can also figure out from a VPN or from an IP address, I can make everything look the same so that even from a behavioral analytics standpoint, oh, it's the same device. There's no issue. But the one that's consistently getting them is phone OS. Now think about it. Phone hmm. OS and phones are so tightly interlinked. You know, if I have a hundred different logins with this iPhone and all of a sudden there's an Android OS, that's account takeover. We can find that every time of the week. But at the moment, that's the current, you know, meta, so to speak, where that's the that's the big corner that's being cut, and that's how we can really take advantage of that and fight that. And I encourage anybody listening who hasn't, you know, started looking at it from that perspective to really think about it because what a phone is is a key. You know, it's a key into your system. And for some of your customers who uh, maybe are longtime customers who haven't really used the mobile channel as much, it's very, very difficult for them to understand and have a conversation with you. Well, how is their account takeover? I'm not even using the mobile access. I've never even had a mobile login. You know, I'm an older customer. I'm using check. I'm using wire. I've never logged in from a phone. How are you unaware of this? And I think the big one that we talk about with mobile access is it's got to be behavioral because we're going to see a standard body of work as somebody continues to log in. But then the other part of it is that we have to be robust enough with the different sources of information that we're getting that we can find out something like phone OS because that's a that's a really big one right now. You know, there's it's hard enough for Android and uh, Apple to work together on anything. I guarantee you that, you know, somebody who's done 100 logins with an Android and is now using Apple OS didn't, you know, make a call into California and get them to work together. That's an account takeover. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic that's a fantastic point and a great tidbit, you know, for our listeners out there who uh, can go back and look for something tomorrow and see if they can find it. So, um, so yeah, you know, we've we've talked about um, we've talked about you know fraud quite a bit, and you mentioned money laundering in that last response. Um, we haven't really yeah. got into that, you know, quite yet. But absolutely, money laundering has been on the rise as well, and inevitably, when you have a surge in fraud, you have an accompanying surge in money laundering. So these are very much interconnected topics. But I, I'd be interested mm -hmm. in, in kind of shifting gears and focusing a little bit more on the money laundering side here. Um, so what have you seen in terms of how money launderers are are winning and have won uh, during this 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 COVID-19 pandemic? You know, it's funny because if fraudsters are winning, money launderers are winning. You know, that's a one-for-one -one relationship. I was on right. a uh, panel with uh, Mark Settler, who... For anybody who doesn't know him, he was a uh, he was the CEO of a uh, mortgage fraud company uh, in the year 2007. So he saw some mortgage fraud. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that he was saying is, you know, all fraud is eventually going to become money laundering, right? Dirty money has to be cleaned at some point. So the first answer to your question is very glib, but it's true, is that money launderers win if fraudsters are winning. But to kind of pull back a little bit and kind of get a little bit more into the you know inside baseball part of this, the reason why money launderers are winning quite a bit right now is the digital transformation caught a lot of people off guard. And at the moment, it's not knowing your customer, it's guessing your customer for a lot of these institutions. A lot of the information they wanted during that onboarding process to really be able to assess risk, they're not receiving and they haven't figured out a way to pivot yet. And I think whenever we talk about fraud or money laundering, if we're judging a solution or a team, the first thing that I look at is how quickly can you pivot? Because there's always going to be a reason to pivot. You know, for geographic reasons, for temporal reasons, like this crazy time that we're living in, something's always going to happen. 
So on the money laundering side, I think you tie everything back to, did we get it right originally? When we first met this customer, did we correctly assess the risk? Because what's great about that is if you get that right, there's kind of a compounding interest effect where, oh, okay, now we're getting the right periodic reviews, we're updating our information at the right frequency, and we have a much better chance of being successful throughout this customer life cycle. But if we get it wrong, and now we're looking at somebody once a year when they're high risk, and that's not nearly fast enough, there's all kinds of money laundering behaviors that can come through. The second part of this too is during onboarding, if we don't understand your relationships, if we're not getting that detailed information, it's so easy to set up a crime ring. You know, a crime ring is about understanding relationships. Beneficial ownership, that's about understanding relationships. You know, what is your relationship with that business? What is your relationship with the way that you make money? You know, these are things that we need to know about our customers. And I think the way that we were used to getting that as an industry changed very, very fast. I mean, it caught a lot of people unaware. Yeah, that, no, that, that is interesting. And I mean, it just, it really reinforces the point about getting onboarding right. It's a lot easier to to do a good job up front than kind of clean up the mess after the fact, it sounds like. So one one question, and, um, and I think we've already gotten into some of the answers to this, but, you know, mm -hmm. if fraudsters are winning and money launderers are winning, what does it take for us on the, the financial institution detection and prevention side to win? How, how do we win? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that we have to do is we have to understand uh, relationships. We have to understand our customers. Let's talk about it from a money laundering perspective. So do you know the way that a lot of crime rings get caught? It's the stupidest reason ever. Going back to corner cutting, right? What is a crime ring? A crime ring is a organized conspiracy of financial crime uh, you know, individuals who have really put a lot of work into their method and have waited. They're, sometimes they're very, very patient. This could take months, years. And then finally, when everything is set up, you know, like I always say, the circus comes to town and all of a sudden you start getting hit, right? Because the other thing with money laundering is when those doors finally come through, there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of money to get through. And they want to get through as fast as they can. So how do they get caught? They get caught because we have seven or eight people from this crime ring who have the same P.O. box as their address. <laughs> That's how you win as an FI. You have to be able to understand those relationships when they appear. You have to have a solution because you're not going to manually, you know, it would be ridiculous to think that you're manually looking through these people over the course of months and you're like, 43.5 Harper Street. Well, I've, I've seen that before. Like, that's just not the way the human brain works. You need something that's going to build those relationships for you and tell you the story because I kid you not, man, the, the amount of people that get caught on beneficial ownership because they're using the same phone for their company as their personal phone. Or, you know, again, um, there's obviously people who are a little bit more sophisticated than that sometimes, but you can still get caught because your wife's phone number is associated with the company or your cousin's address is the same as your business's address. And if you have a solution that's telling you the full story as an investigator, then you get to investigate. You don't have to be an administrator anymore. All administration is is putting everything you need in front of you to investigate. The more of that that can be done automatically, the better are our chances of winning on the FI side. Yeah, I think those are, that's some great points there. Um, you know, really having that ability to pull together the full view of the customer and connect the dots to detect when something, you know, when something like this is uh, is wrong or strange or doesn't make sense, right? It's like sharing these uh, these data points between different parties in the organized crime ring. Um, you know, and it, it makes a really good point, which is that financial criminals have to get a lot of things right. And if they get just one of those things wrong and you detect it, then you can potentially, uh, you can potentially bring down the entire operation. So it really speaks to, you know, not just the, 
importance of what you can do on the detection and prevention side, but the the uh, the necessity of having the right tools to to do it adequately. Well, that's why I love you know one of the first things that I always talk to FIs about is you have to recontextualize who these uh, people you're competing against are because you know they are your opponents, right? That's the first thing that you have to do is you really have to look at them as your opponents. A lot of people come from a team sports background. I'm certainly one of them. And I think when you start from that zone, you start to understand that, you know, a lot of the struggles we have, they have, right? Like people don't really consider this, but crime rings have a budget, you know, <laughs> just like anybody else. There's going to be corners that get cut. There's going to be situations where it's like, oh man, we're working with that guy. Why can't we work with that guy? Oh, well, we couldn't make it work financially. Oh, okay. And then, you know, that can open up, that can open up these problems. I think the other thing that we have to talk about too, when we talk about, um, you know, how financial institutions win is you have to also understand that like fraud is an anomalous behavior. You know, nobody has a customer who every single activity they do is fraudulent, right? So if we look at things from a behavioral analytics perspective, we're going to catch the anomalous behaviors. And then we have the experience inside of our buildings. We have the expertise to go, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. If we can do that, the money laundering side is cut in half because a lot of that money laundering is, oh, you know what? We already made this mistake. Um, our VP of product made a really good point the other day. It's something like less than 10% of suspicious activity reports are about account takeover. Most of them are about transactions. The reason that is is because we're not catching account takeover fast enough. <laughs> you know, nobody's happy to let people in the building and then start committing crimes, right? You know, if we understand, oh, this is a suspicious login attempt. This is coming from, uh, you know, uh, here's my favorite one. One of the things that we do is we'll tell an analyst, hey, listen, so... Not only has this person never logged in from Chicago before, ever, they've also never logged in during this time of day or this day of the week before. But if that's not bad enough, they also logged in three hours ago from 1,500 miles away. So knowing all of that as an analyst, do you think this might be account takeover? Like, <laughs> you know, when you look at things from that perspective, this job becomes much easier. Because the, the biggest thing is that the, uh, like you said before, like the burden of perfection is on the criminal. It's not on us. They have to make one mistake. What we need to do is we need to be greedy about the way that we handle data, or I want everything, because eventually they're going to make a mistake, and I have the analytics inside this building to find it in these different data streams. And that's really yeah. how FIs are winning right now. Yeah, I mean, it's an exciting time, I think, in some ways, because there's there's a, a shift, you know, in tools and resources, but also, as you're properly noting, in mindset to um, take a different approach, Um but I mean, it needs to, you know, I think it needs to accelerate just as the uh, the criminal side has accelerated. So um, hopefully we can, we can all, all the listeners out there can help drive some of that forward. Um, but Andrew, thank you so much for the time and insights. This has been a fascinating conversation and you really uh, did a great job taking a, a very uh, hefty and broad subject and, and giving us some uh, important takeaways. So really appreciate it. And thanks for being on the program. Yeah, thanks for inviting me.